All right. Well, good morning, everybody. As Kim will already said, my name is Carson. I am the youth pastor here, and I get the privilege and honor to speak to you this morning, but also to be able to minister to the youth group here, Salt Youth, uh, from 5 to 7 to 9. A little, quick little plug there for anybody who has kids uh, from grades 6 to 12. But uh, yeah, it's just so awesome, especially like as Josh was saying, being able to see kids come to camp, but also being able to see them in in youth groups and churches because they're not just the future church, they are the church. And so I hope that, that, uh, that yeah, that we can see that, we can see the impact that youth have, we can see the impact that teenagers have, and yeah, that, uh, yeah, the, the amazing gifts and talents that they all have. And so yeah, this morning I'm gonna be uh, guiding us through the book of James, and specifically in chapter four, verses 13 through 17. I, to be brutally honest, I, I struggled a lot with this with these verses this week. Um, I've been preparing this for the past few weeks, and it's been convicting me, it's been testing me, uh, but I've just had a, a real excitement to share it with you guys this morning. And so, yeah, I'm just going to dive into it, uh, but first I want to share a story, because I love sharing stories. St- stories are great. So, I, uh, a few years ago, well, not a few years, I'm 25, so let's cut that in half. When I was a kid, me and my brother... Yeah, uh, I still don't grocery shop with my mom, I swear. I'm, I'm an adult now. But uh, we, me and my brother and my mom and my dad, we would all go grocery shopping at Costco. Because, you know, Costco's great. You guys all love Costco, right? Especially those Costco muffins. Mwah, they're beautiful. And we would always go, and I would always be the one who's wanting to drive the shopping cart all the time. Like, I, I would just be like, we would get there, I'd get out of the car, I'd run over, grab the shopping cart. It's like up to here on me. And I'm like driving it thinking I'm the one who's pushing it towards where I want to go, which was usually the Costco muffins or the cereal bar or wherever it was. And I always thought to myself that I was going, and every time I wanted to go towards, like, whether it was take a left or take a right, I thought I was the one who was doing that. And so I'd take a left, and somehow it went left. I was like, whoa, like, I'm doing this. This is awesome. And little did I know is that usually my mom was the one who was like kind of like with her two fingers, kind of like slowly directing the cart in front of me. And little to my knowledge, I did not know that. And so sometimes I'd try to take a left, but we'd go right instead. I'd be like, what the heck is wrong with this cart? Like, why isn't it going where I want it to go? And so I'd like try to like shove it, go left again, but I still kept going right. I'm just like, what is happening here? This doesn't make any sense to me. And I kept trying and trying and trying. And eventually I just get so frustrated. I was just like, this is stupid. Like, mom, you just go grocery shopping. I'm just gonna like sit in the cart. I'm just gonna like sit in the big bin as everyone, all of the little kids do. And I just got so frustrated because it didn't go where I wanted to go. And I felt like I had control, but at the very end of the day, I really just convinced myself of that and I really didn't. And I feel like this is, this is such a picture of our relationship with God and with Jesus. Because so many times we like to think to ourselves like, yeah, I'm the one who's doing this. I'm the one who's in control. I'm the guy who's, who's steering this ship, steering this cart. But then when God wants to take, when we want to go left and God takes us right, we get frustrated. And we say, God, what, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? Like, do, do you love me? Do you trust me? Or can I trust you? Like, what is going on in this situation? And sometimes if I'm going left and then God takes me left, I'm like, oh, praise your name, Jesus. This is awesome. This is sweet. Like, like holy, holy, holy is your name, God. This is awesome. And then sometimes when I want to go left and he takes me right, and I'm just like, this is lame. This sucks. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what's your plan here? What are you trying to do with my life? And so recently I have been, I've been needing to ask myself the, the question of God, can I trust you in these situations? Can I trust that you are good? Can I trust that you have my best in mind? And do you care? Do you love me enough? 
And to be really honest, there's a huge part of me that doesn't like to give up control. I love to really just, just think that I have so much control of my own life. And to be really, really honest, I don't like a lot of the times that God is in control. I ask myself, can I trust you with this? Can I, can I give you this? Like, are you gonna do something good with this? And it's scary. And throughout this, throughout this morning, as we read through this passage of James, I want us to be thinking, and I'm gonna to continue to remind you of, of this question, what is your life? What is your life? That question might not make a whole lot of sense as I say that right now, but I promise you as we're going through these verses, it will slowly make sense. And so I want you guys to, uh, to know that, um, yeah, and ask yourself the question, what is your life? Because I believe the reason why, when I was back to the story, when we were going shopping, when, we were, when I was driving and, we were, and I thought I had all this control over, my, over where we were going, like my parents weren't like trying to like just have a power hungry rampage, like, no, we're not going the way Carson wants to go. Like, no, they had a shopping list. Like mom was sent with a shopping list. She has to do what she's got to do, right? And just in the same way, for in, in Ephesians 2, verse, verse 10, it says this. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the Greek directly translates for us to, in advance, to walk in. For us to advance, or in advance to to <laughs> wow. In advance for us to walk in. I don't speak Greek, so sorry about that. But God wants to work in and through you. And he wants you to live on mission to make eternal impact in this city, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in your small groups, in this country. He wants you to be doing this. And just as Jesus says, he wants us to be a salt. He wants us to preserve. And he wants us to be light, to shine in our communities. And so the questions, three questions I want to ask you as well this morning. Are you presuming God's will? Are you knowing God's will? Or, or and, are you submitting to God's will? And so we'll be looking at these three things this morning in more, in more detail. And so yeah, if you have your Bibles, please uh, open up to James chapter four, verse 13 through 17. I wanna give a little bit of context because uh, I love context to books. Uh, this was obviously written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. <clears throat> and it's one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. It was written around 45 AD-ish. And so probably one of the earliest writings that we have for, for the New Testament. It was also, it's seen as kind of like the, the Proverbs of the New Testament as unofficially seen as, uh, by some scholars. And also, as I was reading through my study Bible, there's a lot of, of, of crossover between James and the Sermon on the Mount. And so some people like to kind of see it as almost like a commentary to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that James is kind of speaking into. And so if you ever have the time, I would really recommend like reading through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and kind of comparing it to what James is speaking because there's a lot of really cool crossover. I find it really interesting. And so I want to give us a little bit of recap this morning. Uh, first and foremost, what we've gone through. So we've talked the past few weeks, talked about Dean uh, Creed, trials and temptations, favoritism towards people, the power of words, the source of wisdom, and when to make, how to make wise decisions. And last week, we talked about our desires, our decisions, and declarations. And so this morning, as I said, we're going to be going into James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, which says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as you're reading that, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, like why is James getting angry in this situation? Like if you read back through the part that he's getting mad about, when he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He's trying to correct this thought. And what is the issue with this thought? Because on the surface level, it looks like James might be trying to say to us, like, like have a morbid or a nihilistic or a pessimistic view on the world. Like, don't plan what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen. You're a vapor, you're a mist. Like, like what is your life? It's kind of like this, this, this contrasting view that seems a little bit on the surface level, like nihilistic. And so we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. And so I want to quickly say that James is not attacking planning at all. In fact, the Proverbs actually encourage us to plan. In Proverbs 21, verse 5, it says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. There's nothing wrong with planning, absolutely nothing. So every, every Tuesday, we have our staff meetings, and we usually all come, we, we hang out, we connect, we, we talk with people over the phone, and we kind of get ready for the week. Right? And so usually what happens is Charmaine, she'll come with her 2022-2023 day planner, which is probably all filled already for next year. And she just sits there, she's writing stuff down. And if I were to, re- if I were to like take what James says, like, like you do not know what tomorrow will bring, I'm not going to run up to her and just like smack it out of her hand like, don't do that, Charmaine. You're not allowed to plan. Like, what are you doing? Do you-, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like, get out of here, burn it. Like, that's not what James is saying here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We'll see what happens next week, Charmaine. You got a couple days to prepare, so we'll see, depending on what happens today. But, um, but yeah, he's not against planning. But what this text is trying to convict us of and make abundantly clear to us is that the pride of man, there is this pride of man through this one small and incredibly destructive word, presumption. Presumption. And what that word means to presume is to take for granted or to suppose. And just like the word assume, it has another meaning as well. To act or to undertake with undue boldness or without permission. If that doesn't speak to the heart of this text, I do not know what does. So that brings me to point one, which is presuming God's will. Presuming God's will. I want to reread you uh, verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Right here is the problem with this text. You may have noticed it immediately. Some of you probably already know this text like the back of your hand. But what is the point that James is trying to push to? What is in this part of the text that is the problem? God's not in it. There is no mention of God in this first verse. But even worse off, instead of there being a lack of God in there, these people believe that they have control over every single point of this, of this statement. Let me dissect it for you quickly. These guys believe that they have control over the day that they'll go, so time, which town they're going to go to, destination, how long they'll be there, so the duration of their time, and that they're going to have a great ROI, a great return of investment, so outcome. They believe that they're going to control the time, the destination, the duration, and the outcome. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to challenge you. 
in this thought, that if you build your life, if you build your life on making, trying to make an empire, a family, a, a, a job, a lifestyle with this worldview, that is not Christianity. That is practical atheism. To disclude God in every circumstance, to disclude God in every, in, in every decision, to disclude God in every relationship of yours, that is not Christianity. That is atheism without theism, without God. It's easy for us to become numb to this thought, though, because especially in the West, we are taught to be, from a very young age, to be independent, to rely solely on how well we can work, on how I can work, or how far we can make it in our career paths, and any showing of relying on other people is seen as profanity. We, and we are not made to be in dependence, but rather we are created to be in dependence, independence of God, independence of our communities, independence of our families, independence of our life groups. And let me be really clear again, James and ultimately God, God is not against planning. God is not against planning. He is against presumptions. He is not against <clears throat> coordinating. He is against mistaken confidence. He is not against effort. He is against earning. Let me repeat that last one. He is not against effort. He is against earning. So do you think to yourself, maybe, maybe you have a company and you think to yourself, I did this. I built this company from the ground up. This was my doing. I don't care what anyone else says. I was the one who did this. Or maybe you have a family say, I raised these kids. This was my doing. I did this. And this is practical atheism. So let me be really clear. Again, God is not against you planning or working hard, but he is against presumption that you have control over every situation. Did you have control when a relationship fell apart or when you were let go from your job or a family disaster or someone you love passed away? See, practical atheism encourages work. It encourages these things. It encourages you to, to, take, to take action and to do these things, but it discourages you from following a life of Jesus and following a Christ-centered life. It discourages you from relying on the work of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the other side of this sin of presumption. Because although some people might be living and presuming in this atheistic worldview, we Christians can easily get sucked into this as well because it's so easy for us to presume that we know God's word better than God does. You might think to yourself, oh, well, I don't have to completely cut myself off from this unhealthy relationship, right? Like God wouldn't want me to do that. I don't have to completely stop having unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I don't have to completely, I don't have to, I don't have to give sacrificially as the scripture says, do I? I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. I don't have to share my faith with that person, do I? I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. And we go on in our lives with this facade, believing and presuming that we are doing exactly what God wants us to do. And yet, as we keep thinking, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, I'm slowly, slowly pushing myself away from Jesus and living this life of loneliness and this lack of closeness with God. See, the brutal fact of the matter is this. God doesn't need to look at your actions to view where your hearts are. He can see right into the very fabric of your soul and he can know exactly what motives you have. One of the first ever messages I did was on, uh, was on Saul, a really tragic story. You know, King Saul, he ruled over Israel for a time. And <clears throat> he, his downfall uh, was actually with presumption. 
he, in, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 1 through 35, uh, it's, it's this point in the story of Saul when he's going to completely, God told him through the prophet Samuel, go destroy the Amalekites. Like they, they're a wicked people. They tried to, like God says that he remembered when the Amalekites were trying to destroy Israel on their way to the promised land. He says, just get rid of them. Destroy everything, like make men, women, like, like, kill, like kill the cows, kill the livestock, everything. Just get rid of everything. But in, with Saul, in all his wisdom, in all, in all of his, his, his holiness, he presumes to know what God, what God said better than God said. He says to himself, I don't think God really wants me to destroy everything, right? So he keeps stuff. He keeps stuff for himself. He takes the king prisoner. He keeps all the good animals for his men. But as soon as Samuel gets there, Saul says to him, like, like look, do you see all the stuff I did? Like, this is for God, right? Like, like God wanted this, right? And he presumed to know what God wanted more than, God, more than what God actually said. And so this is what Samuel says in response to Saul. He says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and, uh, offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as sin as divination, and this is the crucial part, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. So ask yourself this, in your day-to-day life, which foundation are you building upon? Are you building upon a presumption that's that that maybe you think like I've got this. This this is this is what I I know this. Like I've I I know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. Like I can I am the one who's in control and you're building upon this shaky foundation. Or are you going to point yourself to the one who actually gives you an internal a strong a redemptive foundation and says lean on me, not on you, not on your today your or your tomorrow, not on going to such and such a town. Lean on me. Again, planning is not bad, it's presuming. So you can easily be running after God all you want, or what you think is God all you want. But if you don't know the heart of God, the character of God, all you're doing is chasing smoke. So I ask you again, what is your life? Which takes me to point two, which is knowing God's will, knowing God's will. So a few years ago, I talk about Cape and Ray all the time. I'm kind of just like a fanboy for Cape and Ray because I went there for quite a few years. Um, I, the, from 2018 to 2020, I was a student at Cape and Ray, and it was some of the best times of my life. I just got to know God in such a personal and powerful way, and I got to meet so many amazing people. I got to just spend just really good quality time away from my family, getting to know more about how God is working in my life, how Jesus wants to take Take, take, take the center of my life. And so I had this plan where I was going to, from 2018 to 2020, I said, okay, I'm going to be a student for the first year and I'm going to be on staff for the next year. And for the most part, it worked. I was like, oh yeah, I got to have my student life. That, that was awesome. It was amazing. And then the staff part came along, which 2019 to 2020. <laughs> yeah, we know what happened in 2020. Um, and when, and we were we were sitting there we were we were talking um, I believe it was in March and I was an assistant chef at the time and we I was sitting there just kind of like just cooking some stew up and then I look on my phone and it says Justin Trudeau is calling all Canadians to come back to Canada I was like no 
I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Like, I'll get like buy plane tickets to go all the way back to Canada just because Trudeau says that. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I ignored it. I was like, nah, there's no way that's happening. Like, I, I've got to stay here. Like, why, why would God want me to go back? Right? Because I, I have Christian community here. I'm serving. I'm getting to know more about the heart of Jesus through teachings, through encouragements. People are praying over me. I'm praying for people. I'm serving in my community. I'm sharing the gospel with people. I'm doing like all these things. Like God wants me to do these things, right? Like there's nothing wrong with this. He loves this. I get to speak into young adults' hearts. I get to get to see where they're at with their, with their struggles and, and get to pour my heart into them. Like why would he want me to leave? Why would he want me to leave? And so I had these thoughts going through my brain. And then I got, we got to the staff meeting right before Ladies Weekend was supposed to start. And everyone's been like, please, like, just cancel Ladies Weekend, please. Like, <laughs> we don't want Ladies Weekend, like, please. It was just like, for some weird reason, people did not like Ladies Weekend. I don't know why. They just did not, <laughs> they just did not like it. And so they, it gets to the day before and we're having this, this kind of emergency staff meeting. And we're like, oh, they're going to cancel it. Like, oh, okay, it's, it's one week. That's fine. Like, like, we'll just go to the next week. And so the director, he shows up. And we're like, okay, he's just like going to tell us, like, it's okay, everything's fine. Like, don't worry about it. And then the next few words he said to me haunt me. To the, still to this day, and they make my heart sink. When he just said, thank you for your service to Cape and Ray. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, are you, are you serious? Like, this is what's happening right now. And he said, thank you for your service to Cape and Ray, but unfortunately, we cannot house you anymore. So what's going to happen is that in the next seven days, you're going to have to buy a plane ticket. You're going to have to get out of this country. You're going to have to go home. And what had happened was all these people, all these, these 25 to 30 people that I just got to know so well, they were my brothers and sisters, and they still are, where I looked at them and, and these, these tears that were reserved for, for joy, for bittersweetness that we had to, we had to separate. And we're saying like, we, like, I'm sad to see you go, but I had such a long and great time with you, instantly turned to tears of sorrow. So I was like, what is going on, God? What are you doing in, like, right now? What are you doing in the world? What are you doing in my life? And I thought that there was no way that God wanted me to leave. So I cried out to him, like, God, what are you doing? What are these plans? And the only thing, the only thing as I was going back on this plane ride back to Canada, the only thing I had control over the entire time was whether or not I would trust God with this situation. And sometimes I didn't. Sometimes like, no, I'm going to stay. Like, I'm just going to stay. I'll delay for a week. It's like, no, you still have to go home. Oh, like, oh, well, this guy wants me to stay. No, you have to go home. Like, visas are canceled. You can't stay here. You're not a citizen anymore. You have to leave. Like, man, like, like, really? Like, I spent so much money to do this. Like, like this, is, this, is, this is my plan. This is what I didn't know. You're gone. This is not your plan. The only thing I had control over was whether or not I would trust God. And to trust God, you need to know the heart of God. And if you want to know the will of God, you need to know the heart of God. Verses 14 through 16, back in James, says this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, the thing is with these people that James is speaking to, they don't know the heart of God. They don't know. He says, as it is, 
You're boast, you boast in your arrogance. He says, you should be doing this, but as it is in this present moment, you do not know the heart of God. You boast in yourself. You boast in your plans. You boast in what you think you know, and you have arrogance. God is the one that directs the course of your life. And if the Lord wills, we will live. We will live. This is one of the most powerful points of God's sovereignty in all of scripture. It's saying that God, he directs our lives. He directs where we go. He directs our thoughts. He directs everything, the course of our lives. That nothing that we have in our lives hasn't been first given to each and every one of us, including each and every day that we live here on earth. And the verse continues on to speak about boasting. It says, as it is, you boast. You say to yourself, this is my life. You can't dictate what I do with it, God. I'll make my decisions. I'll choose where I want to go. I'll choose when I want to spend time with so-and-so or with you. I'll, I'll choose like, like what, which, which kind of car I'm going to drive, what kind of things I'm going to do with my life. It's all on me. And we slowly start to believe the lie that we don't need God in our lives. I live my life and God, you kind of just, you can, you can work on this stuff, but I'll keep the things that I think are important. And we slowly start to believe the lie that we don't need God in our lives. And you're stuck wondering why you're always chasing after something bigger, something better, something greater, something that feels better, something that's cooler. And it's never enough to satisfy. But God says, if you knew me, if you really knew me, if you knew my heart for you, if you knew the, like, where I want to take you, the places I want to take you, they're far greater than anything you can think of. But do you know me? Jeremiah 9 verses 23 through 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands me and knows me. So do you know him? Do you know his heart? Do you know his character? Do you know what he wants to do in your life? And you might be thinking to yourself like, well, Carson, like, how do I know? How am I supposed to know? Like, like, how do we get to know him? And it's in this short little phrase that I like. It's the spirit of God makes known to us the heart of God through the word of God. The Spirit of God makes known to us the heart of God through the Word of God. See, this book, this book of 66 books is a collection. A, a, like it's, it's, it's written in three different languages with over 40 different authors in three different continents with one central theme that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And so do you look for God in here? Do you reflect your character and do you say, God, is this what you want? Is this what your word says about what, how, the way I'm living? Does this word reflect, does this, does this reflect how I'm living already? Is there anything in here that you want to take out of me? Is there something in scripture that contradicts the way I'm living? Does, your, does, does the character that you speak of in scripture reflect how I'm living? And it's so easy for us that when we pray, when we read our Bibles, which obviously are good things, we need to be reading, we need to be reading our Bibles. We think that we've done a great job and we can just kind of like okay, this. Okay, awesome. Tick, like cross it off the list. And we kind of keep going on with our day. Like that's, that's the sum of our relationship that, that it's, this, it's this earning. It's this, okay, I did this, like check it off the list. I'm good, I'm done for the day. But let me say plainly, God is not a routine. He's not a routine. He's a person. He's a person with, with depth and, with, and with, with personality and character and, and just, it, like he's, he's eternally deep and he wants, to get to know, he wants you to get to know him. 
And when you're spending time with somebody, like someone in this room, you don't, you don't at the very end of the day, you're like, oh, thank goodness, like check that off my list. Like, oh, I finally got to have coffee with Adam this morning. Like, yikes, that was, that was, that was a rough one this morning. Whole 20 minutes. <laughs> like, like, why do we do this? I know I do this a lot. I do this so often in my life. I have like little apps on my phone where I just kind of check it off. Like, good job, Carson. Like, that's awesome. You, you, you spent your time. That's the sum of your relationship with him. But let alone God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, how, how have we gotten so far off course with that? I'm not saying that you had to stop. As I said before, you don't need to stop doing these things. Far from it. But what I'm asking you is, what are you hoping to get out of it? What are you hoping to get out of, out of praying? What are you hoping to get out of reading scripture? Are you hoping to, to, to kind of get something and for God to like rain blessings over your life? Are you hoping to get to know him? For him to, to change you from the inside out? Not for you to change God and to, to persuade him to do something different in your life, but for him to actually work in your heart and say, God, what's in my heart that needs to change? What do you want to change? Not, do, not what do I want to change in my circumstances, what, what's, what I want you to change out there, but what do you want to change in here? What do you want to change in here? And the rest is in his hands. And so it may be a wrong perspective, like God being your routine. And so, and if you have this perspective, your life can be thrown through a loop when you want to go right, but he takes you left. So what is this right perspective? What is the right perspective in James? What is this thing that James is trying to get across to us in these verses? That life is short and God is in control. Life is short and God is in control. As I said before, there's nothing wrong with making plans. But when you have plans and haven't consulted him for his plans, that's problematic. That is problematic. And yet we like to think, well, I've got all this life. I have so much time. Like, why don't I just like do what I want to do now and then just let God just kind of like do his thing at the end of my life. I'll just be a deathbed believer and I'll just be like, praise God, praise Jesus, then done. And so I want you guys to think with this nice Allen's cleaning vinegar for a second. This is your life right now. It's, it's a bit empty right now, but uh, hoping this actually sprays. I didn't test it before. This, this is your life, right? This could be 80 years. This could be 90 years, maybe 100 years if you do CrossFit, maybe eat grapes or something. I don't know what the latest fat is right now, but like, let's just pretend, okay? So this is your life right now, okay? Right here. This is the sum. Ready for this? It's going to be crazy. You want to say it again? One more time, maybe? I'll show you. This is this 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it is of your life, okay? Wow. <laughs> Smells good. Well, gone like that. And what is it about mist? We can't control it. We can't, it's, it's short and it's fragile. See, I sprayed that less than 30 seconds ago. It's gone. It's gone. Life is short it's fragile and it's not in our control. And this is so, so important because I've, I've talked to so many people and people who leave the faith who just don't understand this part of, of, of life. <clears throat> because when I talk to people who've left the faith, I usually come in with these questions like, okay, like what, what was it that made you want to leave Christianity? Like, like did you see in the tomb? 
and Jesus isn't there anymore, his body's there? Or is it like, like, I don't know, Richard Dawkins like had this amazing like proof that God doesn't exist? Or maybe like Jesus actually didn't exist? Like what was it? What's this evidence? What's this proof that Christianity doesn't, isn't real? And they say to me like, ah, he just didn't do what I wanted him to do. So I left. It's like, oh, oh, really? Okay, so it's not that you actually believed in the first place. It's that you thought you were God. You thought that you had control. Like I've been doing ministry for six years and I've never had a point where someone said that they left Christianity because of proof, because of evidence. It's always been because of their preferences. Every time, every single time, things did not go my way and so I left. We presume that God is following us when in reality, we are following him. So I say again, there's nothing wrong with plans, but are you willing to submit them to the Lord? And I asked you this question before and I repeated this. What is your life? What is your life? But I'm gonna change the question up here for this last point. Whose is your life? Whose is your life? Which brings me to point three, which is submitting to God's will. Submitting to God's will. So this past, this past summer, I got the amazing opportunity to finally go back to Cape and Ray after many years since that, or not many years, a few years after that, so that, that really sad time that I, went to, uh, that I had to leave. And it was for a wedding. It was such an amazing experience. It, was, it, it reminded me so much of, of in the Gospel of John when, when people were coming together and it was, almost, it was almost like in heaven where it's like we haven't seen each other for years and we're, like, we're, we're meeting for this wedding, this union between people. And it was like, man, I get to like talk to people I haven't seen in years. I get to like, like what's going on in your life? Like what, what happened here? What happened there? And it was so cool. But the thing was that I got strep throat and I couldn't talk to anybody. And it sucked. <laughs> so I was like, I haven't seen you in like four years. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I just sitting there trying to talk to me like, dang, this, this like, what the heck, man? Like, why, like, couldn't have done this next week? Like, I'm going to be gone next week. Like, why now? And so I was like, you know what? Fine. Like, I'll just let them do the talking. I'll just like, I'll just sit here and I'll just like, listen, I'll, I'll use my, use my like talk to text and just be like, here, like, like just, just like, just say something. Okay. Like, like write something in there. I don't know. And, and so I got to go back to the Bible school I actually was at. So beforehand, we were just in London having the wedding. I, sit, I took a few days to go back to this Bible school. And they had this, this, this camp uh, called Equipped, which was between the ages of 18 to 25. And a few years prior to this, I was actually on volunteer staff as, a, as kind of like a youth leader for the, for the 13 to 17s. And so it's been a few years at this point, about four, four years since I actually volunteered with these kids. So some of them actually came to this Equipped camp and they, and they saw me, and they're like, hey, Carson, how's it going? I'm just like, hey, you, how's it going? I don't remember your name. Like, it's been so long. How do you know me? Like, how do you remember me? Like, like how's it going? Like, give him a little pat on the back. I was like, man, like, I, I can't remember you, man. I'm sorry. And so we're talking, and uh, they're just like, oh, like, man, I, I remember you. Like, you, you, you did so much in my life, and I actually gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Like, what happened? And we're sitting there talking. We're having coffee and, and just kind of like getting to know each, like kind of like get to re-know each other. And I would just ask him like, so what changed? Like, what was it that like changed your heart back to Jesus? And they would say like, some of them said that they thought they were Christians, but they changed something. Or some of them thought I wasn't a Christian and this changed. But it was always the kind of the same thing that there was something in my life that I wasn't submitting to God. And when I realized what it was and I gave it to God, 
That's what I believed. That's what I, that's what I truly understood following Jesus. For some of them, it was pornography. For some of them, it was a relationship. For some, for some of them, it was just thought knowledge. For some of them, it was just evidence. But for the majority of them, it was I had this thing that, was, that I, just, I, I wanted control over, but I gave it to Jesus and he gave me something so much better. And so in each and every conversation, it was identical. And so my question as we wrap up here this morning is when we look back on, is when you look back on your life, how have you spent your time, your money, your relationships, your skills even? How have you spent these things? You might think to yourself like, well, Carson, like God isn't super duper interested in, in the things, right? Like you were talking about before, like it's not about the things, it's about our hearts. And that's true, but God is deeply invested in how you think, how you speak, how you present yourself, how you treat others. The list is inexhaustive because we don't live in a world where the creator just kind of checked out after he created everything. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are indwelt with the heart of God, with his Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, not just a part of him, the fullness of God who has and he wants to equip you to do good works, to walk in advance, that, that are prepared in advance for us, and he wants you to walk in them. And so are you willing to submit your life to him? Are you willing to submit this part of your life that maybe you just haven't really set down at the feet of Jesus? And you might say to yourself, okay, God, you can have my life. You can have this. Like you can have all these things, except that thing, that thing, maybe that thing over there. Like, like these things are good, right? And then God's saying like, that's exactly what I wanted. Are you willing to submit your time to me? Are you willing to submit your control to me? Because today or tomorrow might not come. And so I want to say, God is not trying to rip you off. He always has your best intentions in mind. And if you still have breath in your lungs this morning, you can submit your life to Jesus because he wants to do something crazy in your life. He wants to do a heart change in your life. And whatever it is that you think that you can do through your life, God's like, oh man, I can do something way crazier than that. I can do something much greater than that. And you might say to yourself, well, I have all this stuff. Like I've screwed up too much. Like I've, I've, I've done all these things. Like why would, why would a God who's holy and just and greater than everything, why would he want this? Why do you want me? And it's like, man, God delights. He has fun with giving mercy. He, like that's his pastime is giving grace to people. Like he says to you, like, my wrath was going to be poured out on you. But then Jesus came and he took that cup and he scribbled your name out and he put his name on it. And he said that I took the wrath of God on me so that you can have a relationship with me. So that I can dwell in you and you can dwell in me. So that I can have a relationship with you and I can lead you through the today or tomorrow if it comes. Because your life is short. So what are you going to do with your time? Are you going to be doing it? Are you going to be chasing after you're today or tomorrow? Are you going to be chasing after this city or that city and doing this or that? Are you going to be chasing after that relationship with that person or after the money or after the, 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 the ROI or the, the, better, the, the better whatever it is, the better car, the better, the better phew, relationships? Like what is it that you are chasing after except for God? Because all of us probably have something on our minds right now that you're thinking, have I given this to God? Have I truly surrendered and submitted this part of my life to Jesus? And so I ask you, whose is your life? Is it your life or is it God's life? Because at the end of the day, God's the one who chooses. God is sovereign. God is in control. And so it's not a question of really <laughs> whose is it. We know whose it is. 
Just are you willing to submit that to him? And so my challenge to you, as we, as we, before we walk out these doors of this church, will you say to God, God, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've been living the way that I want to. I know I've been dictating the course of my own life. But God, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are in control. I know you have the best in mind at all times. And I know that you can do great things in my life in and through me. So God, I want to surrender my life to your spirit. I'm not thinking anymore about the steps behind me. I'm not thinking anymore about the things I've done. I'm not thinking anymore about the things that, that are bringing me shame and guilt, the things that the devil wants to tempt me with. But God, I'm looking at this next step, this next step forward, and I'm saying I'm giving it to you, Jesus, not just to me. Will you say that to him this morning? Because that step, that step should be given in full surrender to Jesus. And to, so to sum up, we talked about presuming God's will, knowing God's will, and how to submit to God's will. So I want to pray quickly, and then the worship team can come up. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you say, it says in Revelation how all the creatures call out, holy, holy, holy <clears throat> is the Lord God Almighty, <clears throat> who was and is and is to come. And they say that day in and day out, nonstop repeating, God, you are holy. God, you are crazy about us. You love us. And God, you have such an amazing plan for each and every one of us. But God, there are some things in our life that we just haven't submitted to you. There are some things in our life that we want to take control over because it's going to make us uncomfortable if we give it to you. But God, I pray that we will be a people that don't seek after comfortability, but we seek after following you, Jesus, that we seek after your kingdom and your righteousness and that all other things will be added later. So God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in College Drive. I thank you for, for, for each and every person in this room, God. I thank you that you brought them here this morning for a reason and that you are crazy about them, God. Thank you so much for the way that you speak into our hearts. And God, I pray if there's anything this morning that I said that was not of you, God, I pray that they, it can be forgotten. And I pray for the rest of my words, God, that it can be tested against your word, that it can be tested against what you've spoken through, through scripture and through Jesus. And if there's anything not of that, I, I pray God it just burns away. So thank you, Jesus, for this morning. I pray God that we can just give the rest to you with open hands. In your name, amen.